0: Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. Today on the show is John Francis Flynn. John Francis Flynn is in a band called Skipper's Alley, who released an album called The Owl Fip a couple of years ago, and he's just released a solo album under his own name called I Would Not Live Always. It's out on the rough trade imprint River Lee, which has put out records in recent years by the likes of Lancome, Lisa O'Neill and E Vagabonds. The people behind the label said they came across John Francis Flynn's music while he sported Lancome on tour in 2019. I came across him around then too he played quiet lights festival in cork in november 2019 and quarter block party in february 2020 and then well guess what happened next lockdown hit he's been sitting on the album for a while and i think as you'll hear he's happy and relieved to finally get it out in the world in a four star review jude rogers writing in the guardian says he has a voice like old leather blunt yet sincere holding his notes like bagpipe drones, resisting all weathers. Around it whirl traditional instruments and Tascam four-track cassette bloops, loops, masterminded by composer Ross Chaney, giving the album an unearthly intensity. John and I talk about recording the album with Brendan Jenkinson, who plays with villagers. Other people who appear on the album include Skipper's Alley bandmate Alton O'Brien, singer Consuelo Bresci of Varro, Shanno singer Shalog Ní Kenavon, Phil Christie from The Bonk on keyboards, and drummer and composer Ross Chaney. John and I also discuss trad music in general, sessions at the Cobblestone Bar in Stony Badder, his musical journey, finding his voice at age 20, and lots, lots more. Stick around to the end to hear the brilliant single My Son Tim. A note, about the interview, there have been builders working next door to me for a couple of months at this stage, so you might hear a little bit of banging towards the end of the chat. Just know that that has been the least of it, and it makes recording interviews and podcast intros a bit of a nightmare. Anyway, we started off talking about how great Donald and is. John Francis Flynn was just on the recent episode of Donald's podcast, Make Me an Island which came out the day before we chatted. I highly recommend you check out that episode to discover a little bit more about the music on the album and how it was created. I described Donal as almost a magical figure. i let John Francis Flynn take it up from there.
1: She robbed her Lord of his horse and his ring and left into rage in the meadows green
2: I was actually going to use that word with him. (laughs) Like, he's quite a magical person. (laughs) I came across Donald a few years back and he's kind of been enthusiastic about my music and just been a, you know, he's become like a kind of a maze of mine. He's always been into it and he's always been really encouraging and kind of, he had me on the podcast there like around Christmas time. There was like like a live performance from the Sugar Club. We had had the app, And then after that, he was like I, like, I was like, it'd be really nice to do something with him to, to launch the album. Because we weren't going to be doing a, any sort of like, like we couldn't really think about, we didn't know if we were going to be able to do any gigs. We didn't really have money to be making too many vi- music videos or anything like that. So we were thinking like, if we were going to do anything, we would do something like a an audio introduction as opposed to a video. We actually made a video in the end, but originally it was just going to be Donald doing his thing. And um, yeah, it's been a pretty amazing process with Donald. I think like, I find like the way he interviews people just very unique, you know, he kind of brings stuff out of people in a very natural conversational way. And he could end up talking about himself for a while, not himself, but like his own experiences for a while in such a way that like you might think, oh, why is he going down this route about some story about, you know, playing Gah uh, in Kerry? It's it's it works so well. I don't know. It just it makes it more of like a conversation between two friends as opposed to an interview about music, I suppose, but then hits the music as well and hits all of the in-between bits yeah I don't don't know how to describe it but I think he's a really talented man and he just he needs to be back on the radio you know
0: yeah like I mean it was very sad when his show ended on Today FM wasn't it years and years ago now but it's great to see him doing the other stuff and great to see him like making a podcast as well and making something that's unique to and featuring you. And I would recommend it to people, you know, if they want to get a sense of almost like behind the music for your debut album, like it's definitely worth a watch. So that's Make Me an Island with Donald Neen. But maybe we'll reveal a little bit on this podcast as well as we go along. Um, yeah. I've been listening to the album a lot over the past week. It's great. Uh, congratulations on it. It's, it's under your own name. It's John Francis Flynn's solo de- debut solo album. But there's a lot of collaborators on there as well, and that's something that came up in the Donald deine interview too. like does it feel like a solo album? Does it feel like it's it's a collaboration? I mean, how do you view it?
2: Yeah it's certainly like a collaboration with a few different people, you know. I suppose at the start when i went, when I wanted to like I come from a traditional music background and I wanted to bring that into other in, into a new kind of place f uh, you no, not a new place but like just for myself was new I wanted to like bring electronics in I wanted to bring certain ideas for percussion certain ideas for soundscapes and stuff like that and I just didn't have the tools to do some of the things that I wanted to do and then I was doing gigs it actually came out of doing gigs as well so like I was asked to do um, a gig for Miles O'Reilly's stage at Body and Soul and I was thinking right, this is a good opportunity to bring in all those elements. I mean, I just guess a friend of mine, a friend of mine, Ross Chaney, uh, I asked him to do the gig with me because I knew he did like a lot of uh, electronic kind of tape stuff um, and he played the drums as well. So I was like, let's do this together. And uh, through that collaboration, some of the material for the album was kind of born. You know, I'd been working on that material previously with a fiddle player friend of mine called Ulton O'Brien. So that material was already kind of there. And then it was expanded upon with like electronics from Ross. And then when we went into studio with Brendan, it was very much like, it was expanded on again, I suppose, with Brendan. So like each time there's just a a layer built on top of of another layer. with um, different collaborators. But it was, I suppose, like, I would say, I suppose, as like, it was my first step into doing something solo. It certainly isn't solo, but it's like, I suppose, my vision for the thing, I suppose.
0: What was it born out of the, you know, kind of going solo of John Francis Flynn? Like, you were in Skipper's Alley, who had released yeah. uh, a couple of albums as well. Was it just you wanted to try something different?
2: I was asked to do like a few support slots with people like I was asked to do sports slots with Lancome a few years back um I was asked to do support slots with like was it The Bonk yeah The Bonk and a few other actors around around Dublin and I suppose through that I was like I started to think I was like this I could do something solo and before that I wasn't ever thinking of like I was barely even thinking of making music a career like I was just kind of going along with the flow of playing in the band and seeing where that brought me and not taking it too seriously. Uh, yeah. We got, became more serious over time. And then, yeah, I suppose it was just through people asking me to do solo gigs that I was like, yeah, I'll do these. I'll, I'll, I'll take this seriously now. And then the record label, uh, River Lee, we looking for new artists to sign Some a friend of mine who's now my manager got onto me and he was like, you know, uh, make an ep or something like that and show it to them and so i started it it just kind of happened by chance i suppose things just fell into the right place that and i wasn't necessarily ever pursuing it until i was asked to you know until the opportunity was already there for me i suppose
0: Mm. would you have been happy kind of not taking it seriously if you were just still like say doing the sessions every week just playing a couple of shows you know sporadically would you still have been happy with it or are you like pleased with yourself that you've kind of like taken the plunge and are you know taking it seriously
2: no like I mean I definitely needed to do that Maybe really I to do, like it's for myself like i like I mean I'm, I would have had to like stop and just get a normal job at some point um if, just just because it's like not sustainable there's just not Not sustainable yeah yeah it's like you know yeah it's just not sustainable I wasn't earning money like I barely earning any money I was just earning enough money to like survive that's it like and um so it kind of had to had to happen and I'm glad it happened I certainly wouldn't be happy to like I mean I was before lockdown I was like doing like six or seven sessions a week, seven gigs, like just playing music in a pub. And I kind of end up hating, hating that. I mean, sessions are supposed to be the thing that you kind of do for the love of it, like, you know, you you kind of it's a you come home from work and you go into a session or like just to hang out with your mates and play play music. It's supposed to be casual and fun. And it just became a, a job for me and it was not yeah I wasn't enjoying it. it got. yeah I suppose so like that worried me as well so now I'm in a position where I'm like all right my job is actually playing music on a stage and I'll go on tour or do gigs and then when I come back I can play sessions just for fun like you know so it did have to happen or else I was going to have to get, like, a normal job.
0: Uh, that's awkward. I, I had a question about sessions. It was just like, tell me about the art of the session, you know, what's involved, and here you are just saying, yeah. like, you get burned out by them as well. I mean, you shouldn't. <laughs> like you, I guess you're always looking for that magic. So, like, who's going to be there, like, oh, I haven't played with this person before, or something like that, is it?
2: Yeah, I mean, like, so saying the cobblestone, there was, what I, I kind of learned a huge amount of music through playing sessions. In the cobblestone, there was like something like 21 sessions a week in the cobblestone before lockdown. Tom just kept adding more sessions on as the pub was, I suppose, getting more successful. He just, you know, so I think so on Sunday, the music started at like one o'clock in the afternoon and then finished at one o'clock in the morning or at 12, at, you know, midnight. Uh, and it'd be four sessions, you know, so there's so many different musicians coming through that pub every single day and depending on what you're into it was like a little it was like a, a menu of musicians if you're into Donegal style fiddle you go in on a thursday at seven or at five if you're into like conic style flute playing go into the cobs on a wednesday at half nine you know and it's all like this if you're into like piping go in on a sunday at nine you know this this kind of thing it's like you have so much to choose from and so many people to learn from from in there and it was so much fun doing that but I suppose at a certain point when it becomes your job that's gone you know you're the main person in the session you're running the session and you're not really there to learn anything you're not really there to you're there you are there to to enjoy it but if if, if if it becomes an everyday thing where you're the person leading the session and you have to be there and you're getting paid to be there it just takes the spontaneity out of it it takes the unless there's like new people coming into the session each time, but generally it's the same people coming in with and they're, they're all my mates or whatever and uh it was always really nice to to play with them um I suppose I'd say myself and the fella uh who has run the session with Killian, I think the two of us were just worn out by it. Like so yeah, I suppose if it's just an everyday thing, it just becomes less spontaneous and enjoyable.
0: I d I didn't realise the cobblestone was doing that many sessions. I mean, I w- I would have heard about it first maybe around the the time that E Vagabonds were kind of playing around the country because they they were talking about how great the cobblestone was and then you hear about like legendary Lisa O'Neill performances and stuff like that um is the cobblestone key to kind of what we're seeing now you know like whatever you want to call it like the new folk revival or like the new trad scene in Dublin like is it key to a lot of you and your peers um journeys
1: um I suppose so. I suppose so. I'd say like the cobblestone like
2: the cobblestone has musicians coming in like so like the, the the general Irish traditional music scene was always in a very healthy state. I suppose it's like there's definitely been bands born out of some of the sessions around that. Um and maybe that was inspirational for those musicians. But the actual Irish music scene it was very healthy, anyway. Like across the country, um, so like I mean, the fact that there was twenty-one sessions, like in the Cobblestone, is proof of that. Like, so I suppose, yeah, it was, it was a breeding ground for it. Like, but it certainly, I don't know. It's hard to answer the question because, like, um, yeah, I, I suppose the answer is yeah. Um, that people met in there. And we kind of formed bands or, or you know, friendships uh, around that, yeah. But Certainly the, the music scene was actually quite healthy. It's like, I suppose it's by people looking in on it. It's like when, I when I think it's supposed when the likes of Lancome actually decided to make a band and they started getting attention from outside of the, the Irish music scene, that was maybe more but within the the arch music scene it's always been very healthy i think
0: do, do you find it kind of strange that like it had i mean i guess trad has always kind of had an interest from the uk like going back to planksty doing these yeah. um big uk tours and stuff but is it is it funny like maybe even in the past five years as lancum have continued their rise and like touring the us and stuff have you noticed maybe before lockdown that Oh, there is more attention. Like, there's more people coming to the cobblestone or stuff like that. Like, is it physically noticeable that there's more of an interest?
2: Not in the cobblestone. The cobblestone's really, really popular bar. Like, it's always been jam packed. Like, um, and like the cobblestone literally has people from all over the world coming to it. Like, and it's been you know, and tourists and also musicians from all over the world coming through it. Like, that's a part of the cobblestone. It's like. You never knew who was going to... Like, you might have had a menu of people who, who were going to be there every week and some of the top musicians. But you also could have, like, some really top musicians who are, like, just passing through from America. They'll, their first stop will be the cobblestone, you know? So you never know who you're going to bump into in the cobblestone or what amazing musician you're going to hear. That's always been very healthy there. But, like, say, like, in the, like, the likes of Walsh's pub, certainly there's... That's probably a better... Gauge because it's not a trad pub it's not a, it's, it's never been a trad pub we set up the sessions and people came that was a, an eye-opener I suppose for me for it was just like there's no history of Irish music in this pub all of a sudden there's a couple of sessions and the place is jam-packed so yeah there was that um and certainly like Lancome have opened the doors for huge amount of people. I think Lancôme have done a great job in that they've opened the doors for a lot of people who never were into Irish music. And then they've also opened the doors for people who are in Irish music and don't really like to Irish music to be messed with or like to be experimented with. Maybe some people who are more purist in Irish music, Lancôme have been like, opened their eyes to be like, oh yeah, you can do a bit more and it's still, it's a different thing. It's still good but it's a different thing. Um, And then for people who have no interest in Irish music, who have been like, ah, don't, not into Irish music. And now all of a sudden, you know, yeah. So it works both ways.
0: And I mean, your album opens up with a little keyboard line, which is almost like, you know, oh, it's a trad album opening up with a little bit of keyboard. That's not a slap in the face, but it's a a kind of a stand up and take notice sort of thing. You didn't. Did you want to make a pure trad album or were you like, let's try new ideas? Let's do something different. And
1: Yeah, I mean, like I
2: have made a couple of um, albums with Scarebra Alley, and they've been maybe more traditional. Um, I mean, I suppose. If you're in a band, that's not necessarily the traditional anyway. Um, so it's yeah, but they're closer to making pure like a more traditional music. Um, and then I'm going to ma- I'm in the process of making an album with if, well, we're rehearsing to make an album uh, myself and a, a fiddle player, which will just be really pure Irish music, just a flute and a fiddle and no accompaniment whatsoever. And yeah, so it's kind of like, I'm still making traditional music, but so I was like, well, I've also all sorts of other ideas and all sorts of other, other interests in music. So if I'm going to be doing something as a, my, as a solo thing, or like if it's my own vision to do, I, I, want to, I don't want to be restricted, I suppose. So I wanted to bring in a load of different influences. I don't really consider the album a traditional album fully. It's more of like a combination of things. Certainly I'm a traditional musician, and the source material is traditional, but so many of the other elements are from different genres and it's, yeah, it's a uh, different, it's not, I suppose it's not the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Traditional album,
0: it's not a traditional album, I suppose. Is, is it difficult kind of melding them, like bringing different things? Are you, are you very aware when you're adding something new to like an, an old song or old lyrics?
2: Yeah, I mean, like, sometimes, like, yeah, this is a thing, like, it's 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 a hard thing to do. I suppose the way I see it, um, you can kind of do anything you want once it still represents the song. If you're still representing the material fairly and honestly, if it still comes across, then you can do whatever you want. It's when you start, like, doing things for the sake of it, like, plonking things on... Um, or, or when you start changing the source material to suit a different genre so the important thing was to keep the source material honest to what it was to what it's supposed to be and to how I relate with it um, and then on top of that to make arrangements that support that as opposed to bring it somewhere new and through that it might go somewhere new but it's still represented in a fair and honest way I don't know if that makes any sense
0: no it's it's interesting just because like you know I, do, I don't have a history of trad I love hearing other people talk yeah. about it just because it's so indebted to the past sort of yeah. thing um, yeah. that I just find really really interesting um, I mean I don't know if you want to maybe pick out a song from the album to kind of talk about where how, how you take it maybe how you find it and, and where you take it? If we were to take the the first single from uh, the album, my uh, my boy Tim, like where did you hear about that song first? And like when did that become kind of a song that you wanted to make into your own? Um.
2: So I I was in the cobblestone one time. At, I think it was a, it was probably the begins of a lock in, and. Um,
0: where great ideas happen
2: yeah yeah <laughs> and there's a fella this fella called uh, Andreas andrea schultz he's a german fella who just so happens to be unbelievable at irish like traditional singing you know he started singing this song i was like that's that's a great song that's a really good song and uh, so i went then and found i found another version of it it's probably the same version you probably got it. So I, I found uh, Frank Hart recorded it as well. And I'd say probably Andreas got it from that recording.
1: And my son Tim was a bosun's mate. He could blow the whistle, but he never ran a rate. When the thoughts of his mother came into his head, you couldn't understand one word he said. With your 2 right, ra whack fall da da whack full da doodle fall da da do Well, up comes Tim without any legs. And in but I
2: decided, and OK, I'm going to learn this song. And I suppose this one was maybe a more simple kind of arrangement for me. I just kind of, I didn't really do much with it. I, I just thought the song was like a bit raucous. It's, it's kind of like this energetic, but kind of dark song about an anti-war song but it's kind of it's full of kind of like dark irish humor i suppose and uh so i just wanted to do something a bit raw with it and so i just like got the guitar and started like hammering out kind of a, a droney kind of single note line or whatever and sang the song over it and then like in the studio it developed with drums and like clarinets and stuff like that i didn't really need to think too much about that one to be honest it was, uh, it was fairly straight up, yeah. But I, I, I just wanted to get that kind of weird, energetic, dark feeling that I got when I heard the song in the first place, I suppose. And once I did that, once it didn't go anywhere else, I was fine. But it was simple enough to do with that, with that song.
0: So is there a song on the album that you maybe struggled with that like was, was the difficult one to to pin down and, and to kind of stay true to its you know, early form or whatever?
2: Mm, no, there's nothing that was like difficult to see, say, say true to, to the form or true to the to the feeling I got with, 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 with each song. But there were certainly songs that I found hard to, to record um, and there's stuff that's maybe more experimental. So that, the Bring Me Home piece, that was kind of like that's quite an experimental piece. And um, maybe that one's probably the best example. So there's, um, on The Dear Irish Boy, it starts with that. And uh, there's a, a, um, I got it from a settled traveler man called Paddy Quilligan. There's a recording of him in the UCD archive. And uh, I just thought it was an amazing, amazing song and an amazing performance. And it just hit me and I, I knew I wanted to sing the song. And, but it's only two verses long. So I decided to get another song that was only two lines long and repeat those lines over and over again. And I suppose, like, in Irish music, you put tunes together, like, in sets of tunes. You wouldn't really do that with songs, but I was like, these two songs are very short, and you're going to put them together. Um, And so already I was experimenting with that. Sure. But as I went along, and as the uh, the track developed through, like, collaborating with um Ross, with the Electronics, and Brendan with some more, like... I know production. It it became it certainly became something that was like that needed to be reined in. But I knew I already knew like it became something that was very, very out there. And but I kind of knew all we needed to do was rein it in. And it's still fairly out there. But um yeah, I always have a good feeling with these things. Like if it's gone too far with something that we're doing, like musically. And it's coming away from the song, then I need to rein it in. Not that hard to do that, or to recognise that. It might be hard to to actually to to do it, but it not it's not hard to recognise it. If you know what I mean.
0: I, I think I think it's interesting as well that you are working with people who wouldn't kind of be ver- you know maybe versed in in the trad sphere like Brendan say or or Phil from the Bonk as well and kind of are they kind of learning along with you like are you kind of explaining this to them that like you have to stay true to it
1: well I but that's the thing I like
2: I did I that was an important thing for me I was like I don't want to collaborate with people who are versed in, in in traditional music I mean apart from Alton who who plays the fiddle with me um I, but in terms of the electronic stuff uh or any of the other kind of stuff that's not traditional um i was like i don't i want i don't want them to have any clue about irish music or traditional music um i'd rather if they were like completely new to it so that they're not thinking about it the same way as i am they're just thinking about their own like the electronics or the drums or whatever and i can guide that so there's definitely been points where like like Ross has come up with really interesting things that, like, that sounded amazing. But I was like, you can't do that <laughs> because it just doesn't. It doesn't work for the, the. It doesn't represent the music enough. And I tried to explain that in, in, in words and in feelings. I suppose there was a language created around that. He certainly learned through through our arrangements, or they 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 all probably learned to some extent, through uh, our explorations in it uh, a bit more about Irish music and about how how to approach it, I suppose. But I suppose, yeah, it was important for me to like, I didn't want them to be worrying about the Irish music part of it. That was just, that was for me to like guide them, I suppose.
0: How long have you been sitting on it? Was it recorded during lockdown? Did you have it done before then? Because I know some of these tracks go back a few years, like I've I've seen you perform Shallow Brown like two or three years ago. Yeah,
2: yeah. The album was a kind of half recorded before lockdown. It would have been finished, I would say like in April. So like just after lockdown, we were going to go in studio and probably finish the album. Course we couldn't go in then for like for months and then eventually we got a couple of days, went in, then got a couple of days, like a few months after that, and like it, it it was certainly like a very long process because of the lockdown. So some of the material, like Shallow Brown was the first track we recorded. I think we recorded that in like November 2019, and that was pretty much finished at that point. And then we had a few more tracks kind of recorded and then they changed over lockdown, but certainly like sitting on a lot of it for for a good while now. It's been finished record. like we finished recording, I don't know, it like six months ago or, or something like that. It's been pretty
0: tough sitting on it, to be honest. <laughs> I guess you're just like gagging to get back out and playing shows and like be excited to do sessions again, even.
2: Totally, yeah, yeah, no, very excited for that. Um yeah, yeah, really excited for that for that end of things. Uh very excited to be moving on from the material and to be well, I'm not moving on, I still perform it, but like to be able to go in and record some more material material, you know.
0: Have you got shows booked and stuff yeah, tours? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I have a gig um on the sixth of August actually in um in Lep, in Conley's in Lep. And, yeah, and a few other dates after after that. But like Yeah, so it's something to look forward to, you know.
0: And do the songs kind of change when you're performing them live, like as well, like just so that you don't get bored of them too? Like, I guess they have to change because you probably won't have everybody on the album playing with you.
2: Yeah, exactly. So uh, like, say, say, like some, some shows, like Ross hasn't been able to, you know, he's been busy doing his thing. And Brendan has done the gig with me. Um, and then that, that changes things quite a bit, but that, yeah, as you say, that, that kind of makes it more interesting sometimes. Well, it always makes it more interesting when, when someone else you have to like go and rehearse and like do it, do a different thing. And then some, sometimes when you get, when we get, I've got, got used to playing with Brendan and Ross came back in and it's like, okay. And then Ross is bringing in more of like his modular synthesizer and it changed again. Yeah, I suppose I've tried to make new arrangements for some of the songs as well, just to like to suit like smaller venues and stuff. We did a a, a show there in Ross's cafe and I thought we were playing one of the songs that's like really quite big and loud and uh, I was just like because the venue is like, let's do something different different, more like subtle with it. So yeah, I suppose it changes a bit.
0: Um, I guess I've done the the interview almost backwards. We didn't talk about like uh, how you started in trad. So maybe we'll rewind a little bit. And I mean, you mentioned earlier that you come from a traditional music background. I mean, did you grow up with trad? So you're kind of versed in it or is it something you just learned along the way?
2: No, I grew up playing trad. I I was about six when I started playing the tin Whistle, six or seven. Um, And my dad was kind of, he was learning to play trad. He was learning to play the banjo. He started in his mid-30s or so. I had quit the piano at that point <laughs> when I was six. And he was like, we have to get, you have to keep John playing music, you know, because he was really into music. So he brought me along to Tin Whistle Lessons and it, it just kind of kicked off from there. And then my sister started playing. And then my mom started playing at some point. She doesn't play anymore, but we were all playing. And my my, my dad, myself, myself, and my sister still play my sisters recorded a couple of albums as uh, well. Or maybe just one album.
0: You did music in college as well. You, you talked about that with Donald Denine as well, that you dropped out of college. What was it that you were doing in Maynooth?
2: Yeah, I was studying I was studying music in Maynooth, but like I wasn't actually yeah, I wasn't actually showing up for the course like <laughs> you know. I was I was yeah, I was like at that point in time I was like um, starting to gig in town. And I was, you know, playing loads of sessions in town. And I was living in Merino in my parents' house. And, you know, I was just kind of like, I was playing loads of music. And it was just like, to, to be honest, mostly it was just like, I didn't live in Manute. It took an hour and a half to get there and an hour and a half to get back. And I just wasn't arsed. <laughs> like, simple as that. Like, and I know, like, if I had have been, if I had have I gone to college and studied in like trinity or wherever i probably would have kept it up because i, I was hanging around like with my mates who were hanging around in trinity uh just because it was local and there my mates are around there but like i didn't go into minute at all like very rarely just because it was just such a hassle and i was like look i'm playing loads of music anyway i'm gigging every, like a few nights a week going into sessions even when I'm not gigging you know I don't know just wasn't arsed at the time I'd I'd love to go back at some point well I mean we'll see but yeah
0: (laughs) it was straight out of um school was it straight out of school into the music course yeah Yeah, I think I think that it's it's almost like not a shock to the system but like people a lot of the time might not know what they're looking for out of a music course like i know some friends and musicians who have gone back to college you know yeah. 10 years 10 years later like in their early 30s or something and they get yeah. more out of it
1: i mean
2: yeah totally i think i'd get more out of it if i went back now like but uh i you know i'm kind of busy now at this stage at last <laughs> like i mean i kind of knew what i wanted to get out of it as well i wanted to i wanted to be a teacher i wanted to like be a secondary school teacher that would have suited be down to the ground like you know, as a like trad musician, I think there's a lot of a lot of my friends are teachers because I mean, maybe not because of the holidays, uh, but there's there's loads of tra- traditional Irish music festivals during the during the summer. And like it's been our life lives growing up, like when we were when we were growing up, it was like you, you go to Milltown and Malbay for a week. Uh, to the Willie Clancy Festival then like two weeks later you go to Drum Chambo for a week then a few weeks later you go to the Fla for a week and like it's such a big part of our you know it's, it's a real big that's where you see your friends and it's where you play, you play all your music and it's like you know such a community uh, and I suppose there's a lot of teachers <laughs> I'd have to you'd have to think that a lot of them are probably doing it because they get to go to <laughs> the festivals during the summer, like they have the they have the time off to do all the all of that, the trad stuff as well. Like I, I that's that was my thinking of it on it anyway when I was 18.
0: <laughs> did you enjoy it when you were learning it or did you feel like you were almost being forced to do it? Like do you kind of rebel against it, like throw the tin whistle away like fuck this, I'm not doing this anymore? Or did you always uh, like enjoy it in learning it?
2: Uh, no, God. I, when I was like six, certainly not I was just like this is awful. I don't like. I mean, but I, yeah, I just I didn't like practicing. I was pretty musical anyway, so I was kind of like getting away with like, not doing too much practice. Certainly caused a few rows with my parents, <laughs> but I, when I, once I like hit a certain age, once I realized I actually really loved this music, then like it was easy. I was like, oh yeah, I actually enjoy practicing now, and I'd sit down with like CDs and try to learn like what my favorite like flute players were doing you know um but it, it wasn't until i was about 15 that i was doing that you know so it was a lot of the time to- a lot of the time as a kid it was like i wasn't practicing i wasn't really that into it but there was a really good community around me like i i met so many friends through irish music even at a young age um loads of my mates were playing irish music And they weren't in school uh, or in the local area. They were like, you know, they were from like this music, the Irish music club, I suppose, where I learned music.
0: So you've mentioned Lancôme a few times. Uh, In the press release, it says that River Lee kind of noticed you, took more attention of you on the tour in 2019. I imagine uh, that was a fun experience. Any stories that you're able to share about that tour?
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, it's just like, it was all just like a great, great, it was just great crack. Like the lads have been like friends of mine for years. So like they've been on t- and they've been on tour. I suppose like the the real, the really nice thing was like, we all started hanging around with each other. Like, like I, so I, I know Rayleigh since we were kids and she was a few years older than me. But I, our, we're like kind of fa- family, our families are friends and she's in that club that I was talking to you about. Uh, so I've always known her, um, and it wasn't until we were like, and I was mates with her sister, and it wasn't until I was like eighteen that, or or so, that I started hanging out with Rady, and then through that started hanging out with the lads, the Lancome heads, and as we were talking about the cobblestone earlier on, like this is when it all started. We all were just in in these hanging around these places like the cobblestone or wherever else. Uh, singing songs, playing tunes. And it became such a, an amazing new little community that we had. And we were just hanging hanging out, singing songs all the time, going back to Darryl Lynch's kitchen, like, very regularly and singing into, like, the 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock in the morning kind of thing. And eventually they took off with Lancome. And I suppose, like, that kind of buzz with the sessions kind of died off as people start getting more busy but it was a really nice buzz It, it almost felt like it had come full circle or some or something when I was asked to go on tour with them it was a similar buzz you know there was a lot of hanging out till the early hours not necessarily singing songs but just hanging out and drinking pints and having the crack and doing lovely gigs and yeah i suppose it was just that whole kind of journey it, like, it felt like no yeah I, I suppose it was just a nice thing to like to see that um to, to, to recognize that journey and to be there uh with them
0: yeah and big bigger venues as well i'm presuming
2: well the, the venues were like the venues were the original venue was dara's kitchen <laughs> It wasn't really. A, it was just a session, you know. So, um, the venue with the venues at Lancome were like, you know, of course they were like very large. You know, some of them were like, I think there was like five hundred people at the London show, something like that. And yeah, that was pretty amazing. But yeah, that, I suppose yeah, the, the 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 um the main buzz for me was just hanging out with them uh, and. Kind of recognizing that we would all come on this journey from Dara's Kitchen to being playing in front of 500 people you know and of course they're they're playing for the way more people than that but for me I was like wow this is this is mad you know
0: yeah yeah um from, from out of Dara's Kitchen would be a good name for a song for an album maybe sometimes yeah big time yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um just because you mentioned Rady Pete there when she was younger like did she always have that voice like, I mean, it's so distinctive. I mean, d- did you see that develop over the years?
1: Um, I,
2: Yeah, she was always a really good singer. Um, and I think she herself would say she, like, I think she, like, really worked hard on developing a particular style. But, like, she was, she was always extremely talented. And she played loads of instruments and uh, sang, sang songs. But I, I would have hung out with her younger sister, Sive, Um, more so when we were kids and Sive has she's she's an unbelievable singer you know and the two of them have very similar voices yeah I mean they were always she was always an amazing singer and Sive is an amazing singer as well they're just an extremely musical family two of the most talented people I know like
0: your voice as well as something that I just wanted to ask you about as well. You say in that interview with Donald Dineen that you didn't really sing before you were 20 and as well on the episode, Brendan set is talking about your voice and how unique it is. Um, like what was it that prompted you to start singing and like, did you have to work on it as well?
1: Yeah. I mean, like I
2: started singing because, uh, I heard a, a clip, like a clip of, um, uh, or tracked by uh, the Watersons in actually in college in in Minutes at a, one of the lectures I went to, <laughs> I heard the Watersons singing the Thirty Foot Trailer and I was like, this is amazing, this is absolutely amazing, and it opened my mind to all of traditional singing. I just like got hooked on it. Uh, before that, I had just I was just into traditional like m- like instrumental music. I wasn't really into uh, singing at all. So yeah, I just started singing, and I just started singing the, the way that was most natural to me. Like just, I wasn't trying to be another singer. Like I was just singing in my own the way I speak, I suppose. I wasn't training myself to do anything. Certainly, as I developed, I like took from I started taking from other singers. But at, at the start, it was just kind of like open my mouth and see what comes out, you know. I yeah, I suppose I just tried to be. Again, like quite honest with how I sing i don't i just sing in my own voice my own the way I speak i suppose
0: um I think that I think that we've covered everything uh again, congratulations on the album you're looking you're just looking forward to finally having it out in the world and kind of moving on yourself
2: yeah yeah absolutely yeah totally it's got to be uh it's been a big it's been a big long journey. I suppose hopefully this is only the, the start of it.
0: Are you proud of what you've done? Like, are you able to kind of, uh, kind of stand back from it and be like, this is a fucking great album? Like, you know, pat yourself on the back about it.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's been weird because
2: it's been dragged out for so long, um, and I'm happy it's out. And I do, I do really like it. I am very proud of it, um, but I find it very hard to do that. The, the back, back pattern. Um, is is tough, but I but I am I do I do love the album, and I'm happy it's out there, and I'm I'm really really happy people other people are enjoying it. Um, but well, I suppose I just want to like move on to the next album. <laughs> Hopefully, it'll be a, a a a more normal process, and it'll like flow easier.
0: Yeah, fingers crossed. Well, listen, congrats on the album, and thanks for chatting uh, this morning to me.
2: Cheers. Thanks.
1: To, yeah, it was nice talking to you. Oh, my son, Tim, was a all soon's made, he could blow a whistle, but he never ran a raid. When the thoughts of his mother came into his head, you couldn't understand one word he said, but you're too right, yeah. Followed, ah, whack, followed, it'll it, know. Him without any legs And in their place He had two wooden pegs Well was it walking across the sea For your two fine legs On the knees away With your two right yeah? Oh were you drunk Or were you blind When you left your two fine legs behind I've grown, but you wear the silly ute, not to run away from the Frenchman's shoot, which are too aye right, ah for the I was neither drunk nor neither blind when I left my two fine legs behind When up came a bloody gray cannonball, took away me sea boots, all skins and all, which are too right yeah whack for the From the big cannonball With your two-ray-ah right? uh, da fa-da-da, whack fo da diddle.